Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on trending. Self-doubt, is it something you have ever struggled with? Well, today during our happy hour, I want to dive into why self-doubt is actually a good thing. Believe it or not, it is. And we're going to talk about why that is. We have to make a perspective shift and it calls for open-mindedness. But it is so difficult in this day and age. We are the Easter people. We're going to dive into one of the readings from Mass yesterday that reminds us that in the face of persecution, that the early church celebrated the opportunity to be persecuted. And it's a reminder for us in the face of a radical ideology today that is sweeping the nation with crisis, protests, and debates, and that is abortion. We're going to talk about the latest news and what happened over the weekend with protests at churches. We'll talk about pregnant, quote, people and rewriting history and people's statements and also how the Senate is trying to push forward a failed attempt to put abortion into federal law because Roe versus Wade, let's be real, is being overturned in the next month. We'll also answer that difficult question that really isn't difficult. Is abortion ever needed to save a woman's life? The answer is no, but I'll explain that to you why in just a little bit. Joining me today on Trending during our weekly happy hour is a guest who's here to talk to us about an important topic surrounding women's health. Now, let's be real. In our culture that we're facing today, the reality is is that because of abortion, abortion has really led to this one-size-fits-all type of approach to how we look at women's health. And it's actually led to a number of misdiagnoses and absolute ignorance when it comes to sexual freedom, trumping the idea of actually knowing anything about our bodies. And this is an important conversation because joining me today is the author of the book, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. Teresa Kenny wrote this book for all women to really help us understand our bodies and help work through some of the crises we're seeing with everything from misdiagnosis, lack of help and information, even touching on topics such as infertility. Because at the end of the day, when we are healthier, we are happier. We're more free to live according to the God-given purpose that God has for us. Teresa, welcome to Trending with Timory. I absolutely love your book, A Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. You are a 
um, nurse practitioner, you have been educated for a number of years in NAPRO technology. We have our dear friend, Dr. Susan Caldwell, here, who's here on Trending regularly, answering a lot of those questions surrounding NAPRO technology, which is a form of medicine that helps discover underlying health issues surrounding women and women's health. Uh, you decided to write this book, A Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. Who's this book for and what's the big idea behind the book for women? Thank you so much, Timory, for having me on today. Um, yeah, this book is for every woman, every woman in, in, in our lives that we know is not getting the information that they deserve. And just like you said in the intro, I mean, <clears throat> we're in a situation in women's health where, you know, a lot of women are frustrated and concerned about what's going on in their body. And they're frustrated their doctors don't have the answer. And so everything starts with education and empowerment. If a woman isn't connected to how her body works, how it's designed, the goodness of it, the aspect of its fertile, you know, ness, um, how God made it, then she cannot really make good decisions about her health. And even when it comes to an issue like being um, pro-life, if a woman doesn't know how her body works, she can't make decisions about um, how to, you know, you know, make a decision around pregnancy or how to plan her family. So this is about reaching every woman. High school and college age is where we're focused. Um, it's written for that target age group. And I think, you know, there's going to be so many women that are going to need this today, especially. And the whole idea behind NAPRO technology and your book starts on the fact that women have fertility and the basis of our health actually revolves around our capacity to ovulate and for our fertility to function properly. I grew up knowing this because I grew up surrounded by NAPRO technology. I never mm -hmm. thought I would need NAPRO technology for my health to achieve pregnancy. You kind of just assume you'll have no problem having babies, everything will be fine, but I end up having Hashimoto's and polycystic ovarian disease, um, disease and both of these are syndrome, also known as syndrome, and both of these are related to hormones. No one was able to diagnose me after years of seeing all sorts of specialists. It was finally our NAPRO technology experts and a NAPRO physician who finally was able to help me understand this right after I got married when I really wasn't feeling great and help us navigate to help us in having a child. And so your book is so needed because it's helping us pinpoint not just if people want to have babies down the road, but helping us to understand some of the health crisis is going on now. So I want to talk about those, some of those in just a little bit. You said the recommended age group is really high school and college. What will women learn in unpacking this book? Right. Um, so yeah, so the book is set up so that a woman, number one, will get to learn how her body works from start to finish, the main event, like you said, ovulation, understanding what's normal and abnormal in a cycle, but it's also set up to have case stories in it. So a person like you who has gone through a situation of having to figure out, you know, why is my body not working correctly? Why am I struggling with these symptoms of fatigue and I don't feel well? Why am I struggling to get pregnant? All women want those answers. And so what I've done is I put case stories in the book so that you could actually find a picture of yourself like PCOS, premenstrual syndrome, hypothyroidism. There's case stories for all of those situations. 
And not only that, there is alternative and answers to get to the root cause of those issues. So many times, like you know, women get so frustrated because they go to their doctors and what do we have? A one pill solution for every single period problem that women come in through the door with. And we know that that is birth control pills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so women are just, I mean, constantly frustrated. Like, no, I I really want you to figure out what's wrong with me. And I want to give women the hope and the knowledge and the power and the tools to know that they can get to the root cause and they can find a provider that will help them to restore and heal their body without using suppressive medications. And then finally, in the book, what we've done is we've linked my podcast, which is the Hormone Genius Podcast. So what I always want is for people to be able to take a deeper dive on an issue. You know, this is a book. It can't, it can't contain everything that I want a woman to know. It contains a lot of information, a lot, but not everything. And so the podcast, which I've been doing with my co-host, Jamie um, Rachi, for a, almost two years, we've got well over 50 episodes of content. So we link episodes on, again, thyroid, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So young women can take a, a deeper dive. This is a resource that is so needed. It really is the first of its kind. It's a book called The Happy Girl Guide to Being Whole. And gentlemen, this conversation is related to you because we are seeing an increase in infertility. We're seeing an increase in uh, cyclical fertility-related diseases and health issues that are making women grumpy, unhappy, having allergic reactions, and so many pieces to a puzzle that doesn't need to be a puzzle. And for years, so many women have been given, or in my case, I was offered birth control. I knew not to go on it. I knew it was bad for my body, but it seems for a season as if it is a fix for many women. And then years later, when they want to have babies or they're going through menopause, they find that their hormones are even messier than they had ever realized. And that all of those symptoms they were having before were only compounded by symptoms from the hormonal birth control itself. Now, in the book itself, and you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'm talking to Teresa Kenny, the author of the book, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. We're posting a link on social media if you'd like to purchase the book as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. Uh, some of the things that you touch on in your book include everything from understanding, and a lot of women don't know this, yet alone men, that they're really only about six days out of the month with a normal functioning cycle that a woman has the capacity to actually achieve pregnancy and get pregnant, only six days where she's fertile. Uh, You talk a lot about sleep and hydration. Can you drill down on a few of these areas for us? Yeah, I mean, what I want is to tap into what people are really, um, you know, they're drawn to right now, which is the natural body, right? There's a trend for us to really go back to how we can live a life in natural health. And our fertility is a perfect place to find those answers. And so this is about restoring and healing women. And we like to say almost like this is a new feminism, really. Like women who know their bodies, who know how to live in their natural bodies and have their hormones be balanced, like they are the new feminist. Um, And so we talk about things like how we can avoid endocrine system disruptors, how you can clean up your, you know, products like your makeup. We talk about sleep and stress because these are the things that impact hormones on a daily basis. 
And I think intuitively women are very knowledgeable. Um, and so once they start to realize and connect their symptoms to their cycle, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, every day I, I see patients and the one thing they say to me over and over again is how come no one told me this information before? Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's lots of women who may think, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't go on birth control because I thought it might be the wrong thing. But there's so many young women who started it at 15, 16, who were just looking for answers for their painful periods and their cramps and wake up 10 years later and wonder, oh, my gosh. I didn't even realize that I was suppressing my body and my own natural hormones for that long. And then what effect could those hormones have on my fertility or on my health? So women are seeking answers to these questions. And what I, I really believe is that through education, a woman can make good decisions about her body on her own. And that's the beautiful thing. We do all get the choice to make um, decisions about our health, but we need the education and the empowerment about our bodies to be able to do, to do that effectively. It's a happy girl's guide to being whole. Teresa Kenny is the author. This is a book that you need to buy any high school or even middle school. Would you say how, how young is your audience? Or are you looking to introduce this book? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I, I say high school and college because we do tap into issues around sexuality. We talk into, you know, things like identity pornography and how it affects women and men. Um, and so we're tapping into some mature topic. So of course, you parents out there, you know your children. Here's the deal. We know that if they're in the culture, they're getting a lot mm -hmm. of information from all sorts of sources. So a mature seventh and eighth grader, you know, uh, definitely this has so much great content in it. And you want to always have open conversations with your kids, you know, so this is a, a book that definitely could reach so many people from really 13 and beyond, but really our target audience was to hit that, you know, high school and college girl, um, because we know that by the time they're in their late teens to 20s, they already have been exposed to doctors who have offered birth control. They're looking for answers about their health. They're questioning their body as good um, and whether or not, you know, how their body is going to be used in terms of either an object or as a subject. So there's so many things that we need to really prep women on and men for that matter. Yes. Like you said, and in so fact, this is so important. You know what? While you're mentioning that, it's funny. I have so many dads who write into me saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. I agree with you. I'm on board, but how do I explain this to my kid? And I think that this is the first resource of its kind that isn't highly academic, but that's accessible. Something that you could give to your teenage daughter who disagrees with you or is, you know, yeah. really seeped in the culture is wanting to get on birth control, whether it be for acne, for cramps or whatever it might be. And it tells the truth. And that's what's so powerful about this book. And, you know, there are simple things that you throw in there, you know, touching on things, everything from mood to irregularity to surprising and confusing mucuses at various times, you know, these odd symptoms that are explainable or diagnosable. And you touch on how sleep and hydration, exercise and eating right are all important. You even give a baseline for wh what that diet should look like. And, you know, at a time when so many people are struggling with weight and sugar intake, and it's so easy to just fall into the carbs and the sugars, it's 
actually not what's helping women's bodies. And one thing that really stood out to me actually in the book when I was reading it is something so simple when you talk about how really all menstruating women essentially should be on some form of a prenatal vitamin because that's Mm -hmm. what's giving the most bang for the buck for our bodies. Not that you're pregnant Mm -hmm. or you're trying to get pregnant, but that's a focused female uh, vitamin that is giving the nutrients we need for women who are ovulating and menstruating. And so I really appreciate a lot of the resources in your book. Uh, If you can pick this book up, parents, you need this. It can be your how-to guide to walk through those difficult conversations with your children about health that they're not getting in science class, they're not getting in sex ed, they're being deprived of, and it helps you with the real science and maybe makes it a little easier by passing off the book and then discussing it later. I'm going to come back with Teresa Kenny, the author of the book, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being whole. And we're going to talk about some of those tough questions, everything from reproductive technologies and, you know, the struggle to get pregnant to how many doctors are misdiagnosing and are ill-equipped to help diagnose and treat some of the medical issues women have today. We'll be right back here on Trending during our weekly happy hour to talk about the role women's health plays in happiness. Also, why self-doubt is important and the latest on the abortion debate. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's our weekly happy hour. We're going to talk about why self-doubt is a good thing. I'll give you the latest updates on what happened with protests over the weekend at Catholic churches by pro-abortion activists. We'll also answer some of the tough questions surrounding abortion and alleluia, he is risen. It is still Easter. And as we're in this debate surrounding abortion and so many of the LGBTQ topics, it's a time where persecution is severe from friends, maybe family members, even coworkers and online. We feel a little uneasy sharing the truth about human sexuality and that abortion kills a baby and hurts a mom and destroys a future family. But when I look to the apostles, they proudly and boldly stood with the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we do the same? Well, we just have to turn to the Acts of the Apostles. So stay with me. We're going to unpack that in just a moment. Joining me now is Teresa Kenny. She's a NAPRO specialist, a nurse practitioner. She works with helping to diagnose and work through fertility crisis from infertility to fertility to women's health. And she wrote the recent book. And I highly recommend it. The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. You can purchase it online. We post a link on my Twitter, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to follow me, as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. So be sure to click that link and check it out. This is a resource for any parent, any woman, really high school and college age. But let's be honest, a lot of us never received a lot of information about how our bodies function properly. And this is your go-to guide. I'd like to dive into a few topics, Teresa. In looking at your book, it was a reminder of how when we understand how our bodies function, it helps us to be proper caretakers of our bodies. And it made me think about the harmful third-party reproductive technologies that we have today with in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, 
um, artificial insemination. Can you speak a little bit to how this book empowers women now to understand the difficulties surrounding these third-party technologies and how we can be prepared and aware of taking care of our bodies sooner so that we don't come to that infertility crisis that many people are experiencing today? Right. Yeah, it's a really good point. And although, you know, we don't dive too much into reproductive technologies in the book, here's the deal. I mean, what I see is that so many times, again, women are put on the pill from a young age. By the time they get to their 20s and 30s, they're married and they finally decide to have children. Many times they're pushed immediately towards those reproductive technologies. And again, mind you, they never got education about how their bodies work to begin with. So if we can educate women young and we can help them to be connected to their fertility, and this is what I've always seen. It's like a, it's a great disconnect. And I think, you know, unfortunately, the way contraception has kind of evolved into our culture, we stopped really being um, integrated into our own biological reality as human beings, that God made us with the ability to be fertile and to procreate life. And so if we don't educate women about how their fertility works and we don't educate men about how their fertility works, works, we're not integrated into our bodies. And even though, you know, we've got beautiful Catholic teachings and theology of the body, sometimes I've always felt that there still has been a disconnect in educating people on how they can really get a sense of how their hormones work. And if we do that, then when we educate them about their fertility, they already know how this thing works. By the time they get to their 20s and 30s, they're not confused then. They're like, hey, I know how a baby is created. So let me figure out kind of how to get help for my infertility. Instead of, again, being completely clueless and then immediately thinking, oh, I guess I have to do IVF or I have to go down this route of in uterine insemination because they don't know any better because they've never been educated about their body and their fertility. So this is like the great foundation for any human person to be able to know how God created them, to know their body is good, to know the design of their bodies, and then to know that they have this beautiful procreative power and to get the right help to really be able to procreate naturally, which we know with NAPRO technology you know, the chances of actually being successful are two to three times higher than in vitro fertilization. So we've got great success in really just working with a natural body. And this is something no one knows. This is a truth of the matter. I struggled with fertility. It was through, I say, both NAPRO technology and receiving the anointing of the sick. Boom, three weeks later, I found I was pregnant. Uh, and again, this is, speaks to the volumes to uh, the incredible medical practice of NAPRO technology. So we'll include a link in the podcast notes as well as on social media to find a NAPRO physician, a NAPRO practitioner in your area. Uh, Teresa Kenny is joining me again. She's the author of the book, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. Uh, the vast majority of doctors, unfortunately, as we've discussed, are uninformed to help women in dealing with the natural functions of our bodies. Can you touch on how NAPRO physicians, as well as this book, can help address very common female complaints and cooperate with the body rather than the ways that they're often worked against, but we don't realize it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just I'll give you an example. Um, and, and and just so the listeners know, you know, I was trained uh, directly with Dr. Thomas Hilgers at the St. Paul the Sixth Institute, worked there for 20 years. And so I've seen, you know, his work firsthand and how beautiful it is to be able to treat patients um, using NAPRO technology. But for example, I mean, a common situation, I have young women come to me all the time with very painful and heavy periods. And that is a very common situation where a woman would be offered oral contraceptive pills to treat that. But many times the solution that I give them, it's kind of seems simple in so many ways, because what I'll do is I'll teach them about their cycle. I'll help them appropriately know how to treat the cramps using, you know, simple medications that are over the counter. And then we'll use bioidentical cooperative hormone treatments to get their hormones balanced. And I had a girl recently that, I mean, she was literally shocked that something so simple could take her very, very painful cramps and heavy bleeding to absolutely happy and manageable. And I see this over and over every day. And you, know, you mentioned, Timory, that you've struggled with um, thyroid issues and Hashimoto's. This is such a common disorder that often is overlooked. And I treat patients for that day in and day out. And you can really restore people back to health by one, just not looking at the woman and saying, oh, you just got a period problem. You just need this, again, birth control pill or an antidepressant. And I just, I mean, women, again, so frustrated by this. But if we look at women and we listen to them, we can actually help figure out what's wrong with them and actually give them solutions that heal and restore their body. And it, it makes women like this is all about happiness and joy. I'm telling you, that brings people a lot of joy to do that. And you brought up antidepressants and let's throw in anti-anxiety medications as well. Where does NAPRO technology in this book play a role in the uh, depression and anxiety crisis women are experiencing? Mm. It doesn't need to be medicated the way it is. Right. Well, let me first say that, you know, depression and anxiety is a real thing. And, and certainly we never want to... Um, you know, make that any more littler than it is because it is such a big deal for women. But oftentimes women, again, they're often looked at as, oh, well, you just are depressed, right? Or you just, you need to take this medicine and go kind of simply away with, with a drug. And if we just listen to women, a lot of times their symptoms line up with their cycle. So oftentimes I see that women who have anxiety actually have just really bad PMS symptoms. This isn't always the case. But if we have women start to connect to their cycles, uh, to their symptoms, to their cycle, we'll find out many women just have hormonal imbalances that can be corrected. You know, so I, it, I can't understate, again, how important it is to just listen to women and to be heard. And that a lot of times solves so much. A direction to walk in when there are signs and symptoms of irregularity. Um, I know that stress plays a huge role on the proper functioning of our cycles. And for many women, stress is really at the heart of what's behind many people having a difficult time conceiving. They're not ovulating because their bodies keep going into stress mode. So their bodies are saying, it's not a good time to make a baby. It's not a good time to make a baby because stress hormones, cortisol levels are just off the charts. And so your body's pushing and pushing and pushing off the capacity to conceive. Can you talk about how through charting, through NAPRO technology, uh, we can see how stress, exercise, and hormones play a part by having that data every month? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the chart, and I, 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 you can't know this unless you actually do it. The chart is like a story of the woman's body and it, it reveals a story. And, um, you know, women being able to come to me and show me what their story is on paper allows me to help them. And stress is so real. We just did two podcast episodes and we interviewed um, the former U Miss United States of America about stress and adrenal health. And, and it was a great interview on the Hormone Genius podcast. But stress is so real for women. And we know that. I mean, women take on so much. Like we have such big compassionate hearts, right? And, and we want to mother, whether we're a real mother or not at this time, we want to mother other people because we have such great um, compassionate, caring hearts. But we take on a lot of stress for that reason. And in a chart, what you'll see is, you know, patterns where ovulation is suppressed. That's the body's protective mechanism to stop pregnancy under stress. We see changes in bleeding patterns and mucus patterns. So what that chart reveals, again, is the story that we can help solve then and help get to the heart of. And um, yeah, through NAPRA technology, really, you know, you can almost solve any underlying uh, woman's health issue. Um, and it's exciting because the more research we do in this area, the more answers and the more um, ability we have to help women continues. That's Teresa Kenny. She's the author of a book. I highly recommend Parents Need This, Teenagers, College-Age Women, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. It helps give answers, solutions, clarity, and truth about our bodies. No science class, no sex ed program. And let's be honest, a lot of parents just don't have the knowledge to pass on. It helps to solve a lot of the problems and points you in a direction to figure out what's going on with your body. And the reality is, is that when we're healthy, we're able to be happy. So check out the book, Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. That's Teresa Kenny. We've tagged her on social media. You can also find her in the podcast notes for today's show. Please go pick up that book. We posted a link on social media. You can also find it at lumenpress.org. That's L-U-M-E-N press.org. Okay, so lots of questions coming in during today's happy hour. And we're going to touch on in just a minute uh, the topic surrounding everything from pregnant people to uh, the riots at Catholic churches over the weekend, which by the way, there were next to none, um, and why self-doubt is a good thing. So stay with me. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I wanted to say thank you if you supported us here during our pledge drive last week. We were raising $3 million to continue to operate here at Relevant Radio. And the good news is late Friday night, we did indeed meet our need. We were able to re raise $3,178,000 thanks to you. So if you prayed for and with us, if you were able to donate, thank you. If you were not able to participate in our pledge drive last week and would still like to donate to support 
support Relevant Radio. We have to do this every few months because we need to continue to keep up operating costs. And the more we are able to receive, the more we are able to give back to you and grow this network. So if you'd still like to donate, relevantradio.com is the place to go. Again, that's relevantradio.com where you can donate to support our work here at Relevant Radio. And if you already have, thank you so much for supporting this program, Trending with Timory, and our whole network and all of our shows here at Relevant Radio. Okay, I need to vent for just a moment. Have you heard anyone actually say pregnant people or pregnant persons yet instead of saying pregnant woman? This phrase just boggles my mind, but here's the reality. Reporters and authors, including those at NBC and other places, are actually taking other people's statements and replacing words and quotes. For example, there was recently a Jewish rabbi where NBC swapped out the words pregnant woman for pregnant person's life. I mean, different words like this that NBC and other news networks are doing, they have no business changing the words of me or anybody else to shift and fit their narrative. No one is actually saying pregnant person except for media who's trying to make it seem as if men can get pregnant too. And that's just not possible. Can I be clear for a second? That's just not possible. And if you have a question about that, please call me. I'd love to take your question. 1-888-914-9149. It is our weekly happy hour today on Trending. I want to talk about why self-doubt is actually a good thing. But before we go there, we had a question come in about Plan B. That is the both contraception and abortion pill. They, it can work both as preventing the sperm and egg from ever meeting, and it can function as an abortifacient. So the question is this about Plan B. Has the Catholic Church looked into it on how it works and also what is the church's position on the pill? This person said, I thought it would be a reasonable argument against abortion about Plan B, especially in cases of rape or incest. This is a great question. It's one of those moments where we need to clarify, first of all, what Plan B is. Plan B is not just emergency contraception. And even if it was, it wouldn't be acceptable. Plan B can function as a contraceptive where it prevents sperm and egg from ever meeting. But plan B can also function as an abortifacient where sperm and egg have met a new distinct human life, all the chromosomes, all the genetic makeup for the future of that current living person is present. Eye color, skin tone, even characteristics and tendencies, good and bad, are present in that genetic makeup of that zygote that is a baby in the earliest stage of human life. Well, plan B can also essentially what I refer to as snuff out this life in the earliest stages of development by preventing it from attaching properly to the uterine wall. It helps to make hormones and mucus levels so that they're imbalanced so that a baby cannot properly implant inside the mother's uterus, therefore trying to kill the baby along the process after having been fertilized, creating a new distinct human life, trying to kill the baby in its journey that it makes through the fallopian tube and to implant 
in the mother's uterus. So that's how plan B can work as a contraceptive and as an abortifacient, one or the other. That's the fail safe that actually most contraception today has. It doesn't just function as contraception. It functions to also potentially kill babies in the earliest stages of life. So this comes to the question of does the church accept plan B? No. But this actually does get into an area of theology and conversation that's very important. What about in the cases of rape? Well, did you actually know that Catholic hospitals actually do give plan B in certain cases, not all cases, when a woman has been raped? And here's why. And I think it's very important that we understand this. So plan B can function both as an abortifacient and as a contraceptive. Now, in the instance where the medical hospital is able to collect enough data and confirm through looking at hormone levels, progesterone levels, and what is known about a woman's cycle, they're able to determine based on essentially NAPRO technology, which is what we've been talking about today on, on today's show, women's health and hormones hormones and happiness. Well, if the hospital is able to determine that ovulation has not occurred and it's pro- and that the woman has unfortunately experienced rape prior to ovulation, what that means is that at this time, there's the no, no potential for human life. And so they can and will give plan B because in that instance, the plan B is only functioning as a contraceptive. It can't function as an abortifacient because there's not the potential at that moment for new human life because the woman hasn't ovulated, therefore creating the potential for an egg and sperm to meet and create a new life. Why would they use plan B at that time? Well, they would use plan B as there is an ex- as um, as ovulation is always imminent. So the plan B would be used in this instance to help prevent any fertilization from occurring in the future, not to prevent or not to kill any current and existing child. And they only know this when there's a level of certainty surrounding whether or not a woman has already ovulated and if there's a potential for new human life. And so that is the one exception that Catholic hospitals do indeed make to utilize Plan B. Now, some might say, well, this is a hormonal contraceptive, and the Catholic Church explicitly teaches against the utilization of hormonal contraception. That is correct. But in this case, the Catholic Church teaches against the use of hormonal contraception both inside and outside of marriage, when two people are consenting to sex. In the case of rape, the woman has not consented to sex, and therefore the use of Plan B is helping to prevent a new life from ever starting when there was no intention to engage in sexual intercourse to begin with. Now, this is a rare and really the only exception where a hormonal contraceptive can be used and licitly within the context of the Catholic Church. And that is within the context of rape and when there is a certainty that no ovulation has occurred, therefore no abortion, no killing of a baby in the earliest stages of life could happen. So that is a great question and it required a lot of nuance and distinction, but it is one that needs to be answered. So thank you so much for asking that question. 
really brief update I wanted to give you surrounding protests around abortion this weekend. We talked about the threats that were being made to Catholic churches. The pro-abortion groups across the nation were planning to not just protest outside of churches, but to enter into churches on Mother's Day. Well, as of now, the only report I have seen of an actual church being um, protested was actually St. Patrick's Cathedral, Cathedral in Lower Manhattan, where indeed they were kind of blocking the entrance to the church actually all weekend at St. Patrick's. I know there are some other churches where there were, were some protesters there. There was a woman dancing in a bathing suit outside, making all kinds of crazy comments and just fine and talking about killing babies. Uh, Some of those actually, she made an interesting argument surrounding theology that I'll have to take up tomorrow. But I think it's important when we're talking about everything surrounding abortion and the debate that is heated today that while tomorrow we're going to take some of those difficult abortion questions, so feel free to send your questions in to me now. We'll post a, a, a question box up on Facebook and Twitter now, so if you want to send me your difficult abortion questions and some of the debates you're hearing, I would love to hear from you. What are those debates you're hearing on the streets, around friends, family, coworkers, or even in the news that's maybe stumped you or you just find intriguing right now? What are the most common arguments you're hearing? Please do direct message me on Instagram, um, or again, send me a message on Facebook or Twitter. And tomorrow, one of the questions I want to answer has to do with abortion to save the life of a mother. Do we, do we believe that abortion should ever be used to save the life of the mother? The answer is no, because abortion is never necessary to save the life of the mother. I'm going to explain that tomorrow because it's one of the most common arguments you're hearing for exceptions in pro-life legislation and laws that are passed. But stay with me. We'll unpack those tough questions tomorrow. It's our weekly happy hour today on Trending, and I want to talk about self-doubt. It was interesting. I was listening to a podcast by Jocko Willink, the retired Navy SEAL and coach of everything business. He has a few books, fantastic books, especially his book, Discipline Equals Freedom, and another book on extreme ownership, just really good business practices and self-practices. He really is teaching a virtue ethics without actually talking about virtue or God. But what I found interesting is he recently did a podcast talking about why For him, self-doubt is a good thing. And I found the conversation absolutely fascinating because I think there are two schools of people when it comes to self-doubt. Those who self-doubt can absolutely lead um, to the destruction or the shutting down of their functions or their capacity to do things. And then other people who, when they experience self-doubt, it fuels them, it motivates them, and it moves them to grow and adapt. Now, Jocko Willink, who was a Navy SEAL, so an elite individual, I think most of us would argue, when it comes to physical, mental, emotional capabilities. Well, Jocko Willink doesn't seem to have ever really struggled with self-doubt. And what I found fascinating as to the key of his... um, success and capabilities in these instances had to do with perspective. And that is, he really looked at self-doubt having to do with whether we're open-minded or closed-minded. 
And that is when we experience self-doubt, if we're closed-minded, that self-doubt could kind of just nag at us and be really difficult uh, and be upsetting and (laughs) might I dare to use the word triggering. Or self-doubt could be an opportunity to have an open not mind both to other people as well as to other people's perspectives. Now, this is rather difficult in today's day and age. And I'll even give you an example. I receive emails, social media um, messages and comments all the time from people, some of whom love to correct me. And some corrections are absolutely just, others aren't, others are spot on. And it could have anything to do with pronunciation, disagreement, and it's important to have an open mind. Now, Grant, that doesn't mean we should be listening to every single one of our critics per se, but other people can help make us better individuals. When we listen to others, even if we don't agree with them, it can teach us about their perspective, even say on the abortion topic. When we listen to others, It even helps us to have compassion or make us better at our arguments and our position on things such as abortion or religion. You see, self-doubt actually can grow us. It's a means and an opportunity to grow in that word we don't talk about very often, and that is virtue, in particular, humility. And I find it fascinating because if you look at the experts in terms of philosophy from Aristotle, the great philosopher, to Thomas Aquinas, they talk about virtue and how virtue really is the balance between two extremes. That There's a means, there's a median where you find virtue. So for example, when we talk about self-doubt, you could experience a number of things. On one end of the spectrum, your response when it comes to self-doubt could be absolute pride and you throw out the door any self-doubt or any criticism someone gave you. On the other side of the spectrum, when you experience self-doubt, you could almost turn it into self-loathing, absolute self-hatred, and you can shut it down. It could prevent you from asking that person out or to marry you. It could prevent you from applying for a job, talking to someone. It can literally cripple you. But I think the medium between these two radical responses to self-doubt, one being self-hatred and the other being pride, is humility. And as Jocko Willink is talking about, in that middle, and that means, is this open-mindedness, a perspective before God and before men. I was looking at a quote from St. Francis de Sales where he says, Humility makes our lives acceptable to God. Meekness makes us acceptable to men. It's really interesting. So humility makes our lives acceptable to God. That is, we see ourselves as creatures before the creator. Our perspective shifts before God. And that makes us more acceptable to God when we're not trying to become God, be like God, be God. But then St. Francis de Sales says meekness makes us acceptable to men. Now, both St. Joseph and Moses, the patriarch Moses in the Old Testament, are known as or referred to as meek individuals. But what does it mean to be meek? Well, meekness really opposes that deadly sin of wrath or anger. 
It's part of the virtue of temperance. Father John Hardin says that meekness controls every inordinate movement of resentment at another person's character or behavior. That's fascinating. So meekness controls every inordinate movement of resentment at another person's character or behavior. I think this is where not just humility, but also meekness really helps us when self-doubt enters. Because often self-doubt becomes an issue because we hear and see the opinions and behaviors of other people. And that can lead to resentment. It can lead to a disordered reaction to what other people have to say about us, to the criticisms other people have, or it can also lead to um, us, you know, having to readjust when it comes to our reaction to seeing what other people do and comparing ourselves next to them. We have to get over to that inordinate movement of resentment that occurs within us. And that's why I think St. Francis de Sales says meekness makes us acceptable to men. It makes us open-minded. It leads us to be humble and to interact in a better way before other people. It leads us, in other words, when self-doubt occurs, it's actually an opportunity for virtue. It's an opportunity for others and other people's perspectives, but it's also an opportunity to be happier with ourselves, with others, and before God. And I thought this little perspective on self-doubt was actually kind of mind-changing. If we can just change our attitude and allow God and his virtues, his gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit to enter in, when we experience that self-doubt, self-loathing, that pridefulness, we can experience instead joy and happiness and human growth and ultimate human flourishment orienting us and directing us toward heaven, toward God, to be with him for eternity. And this is why confession is so important, because when we struggle with pride, we need to go to confession to help get those sins venial off our back, not just mortal. We have to go to confession if we commit mortal sins. But going to confession for venial sins helps us to grow in virtue. And that's so important. Again, at least every two weeks is what I argue, minimum, minimum once a month to go to confession. Okay, this brings me to our first reading from Mass yesterday. And on Sunday, we read from the Acts of the Apostles, where Paul and Barnabas are continuing to travel and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that many Jews are worshiping and converting. And next thing you know, here Paul and Barnabas are. They're traveling and they're encouraging this conversion. And lo and behold, here they are yet again. And they start to become persecuted. The Jews start to turn their backs on them. They're jealous because Paul and Barnabas are seeing so many conversions. And so the Jews, some of whom were even converting out of jealousy and out of the same idea of the same idea of resentment, of loathing, of pride in other people, Paul and Barnabas then say, okay, well, we're going to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are so excited that here Paul and Barnabas are saying the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ is for them too. But then something I found fascinating yet again, and we see this two weeks in a row, that the disciples, after being persecuted, 
were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, that even in the face of persecution, and at times eminent death, because let's be real, the Jews killed Jesus Christ, and the Jews, some of them, as well as the Romans, had it out for the apostles too, and the disciples. But some of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit and what should inspire us in this Easter season is to understand that in the face of persecution, we're still called to speak truth, and that in the joy of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible with God. No matter the difficult arguments, no matter if we're facing our loved ones, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and walk joyfully in the truth and grace of the Holy Spirit. With the overturning of Roe versus Wade as eminent, we're going to take some of the toughest questions surrounding abortion and the abortion debate. This is Timree from Trending with Timree. I know that sometimes there's discomfort or uneasiness when questions such as, well, what about a mother's health? Sometimes there are situations where abortion is necessary. Do you know that's actually not true? We'll take questions like these. So join me Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.